Thanks for joining us. This is the EWN Podcast Network. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Rev with Rachel, where we recreate, enlighten, and vibrate in our radiance. I am Reverend Dr. Rachel Whetstone, but just call me Rachel. This podcast is the place to learn about really feeling our emotions, mastering the mind, being aware of our energy, and tuning into our own intuition for the purpose of living in bliss, freedom, health, peace, love, and what I call our godly potential. And I would love to stay connected with you. If you want updates about Rev with Rachel and living a Rev life, please go to RevWithRachel.com and enter your name and email address. And you can also like Rev Life on Facebook. Today's episode is Chanting for Heart Opening and Love with Ryan Hader. Welcome, Ryan. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me here. Yes, it's a delight. I met you several years ago, and I've experienced your awesome music over the years. So it's just such a pleasure and exciting opportunity to share you with the listeners. Oh, thank, thank you so much. It's great to connect with you again. So let's talk about, um, you know, now you're supporting people through your yoga studio, through your music. How, how has your life transitioned or how did you come to be helping people in this way? Well, I, uh, I've always been a seeker. And, and when, I, when I look back, I'm realizing what I was seeking was my own healing, even though I didn't fully know that at the time. Mm. So as I would discover modalities, practices, meditations that had a profound impact on me, that helped me connect deeper to my own heart and ultimately helped me to love myself more, I would learn how to um, facilitate or create those experiences for other people. I've always been um, interested in healing and helping others. Anything I can do to uplift humanity is really what I'm all about. Mm-hmm. I've devoted my entire adult life to that, um, finding things that work and sharing them with people. I want to keep mm-hmm. people out of the hospitals. Right. Help them by connecting to their own heart. Yeah. And what would you say would be kind of the biggest shift that you noticed in your own life as a result of your work? The biggest shift that I've noticed in my own life was um, really about having some repressed, like repressed, I guess I could just say trauma coming to the surface and allowing myself to feel to feel those experiences so that they could be released. And in that, again, I've been able to connect to a deeper sense of of self-love. It's really just been about loving myself more and then being able to help others come into that same place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had this sense that um, self-love was part of my own journey also, but that we can't really love everything out there until we love internally. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. You can, one can't pour from an empty cup. We can't, we can't give what we don't have for ourselves. Um, and I find that to be like the difference between conditional love and unconditional love. Conditional love is 
always fleeting and it's and it, it, it relies on a circumstance. And when that circumstance change changes, often the love goes along with it. Mm-hmm. When we actively learn and practice how to love ourselves completely, no one can take that away from you. And also no one else can give that to you. Once you have it, it's yours. Mm-hmm. And um, that, I mean, and then that transfers over into you know, we stop, we stop manifesting codependent relationships as well once we fully love ourselves. But it's definitely a journey and one really has to want it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and how did you figure out that was what you needed? Oh, boy. I didn't even know. I didn't even know until I, I, I took my first yoga class and I'd always been kind of looking for something. I'd always been looking for something deeper, and I didn't quite know what it was or where to find it. I found myself in a yoga posture class. Gosh, this is about 17 years ago. And at the end of that class, I realized now what had happened was I was experiencing the present moment for the first time. Mm-hmm. There was this music being played, and it was chanting, and it was mantras, and I'd never heard anything like it before. The combination of those sounds with that physical practice did something to me. It's like every cell in my body just said yes to this. And when mm-hmm. I walked out of the studio, it was like the, the colors were just jumping out at me. Everything was shimmering. My mind, my mind was completely quiet and I was feeling so much. And it was just a level of clarity that I had always been looking for, but I didn't realize I was looking for it until I found it, oh, if yeah. <laughs> that makes any sense. <laughs> it does. I mean, in what you're describing too, just for the listeners who might be some hearing some of this for the first time, is like, that's what we would call as kind of a spiritual experience and, and a moment of Absolutely. awakening. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, so describe, describe love um, as a potential for us. And And I guess I'm also asking you this because being a male, you know, talking about self-love and acceptance isn't, at least around the areas that I grew up, it wasn't like an everyday kind of conversation. But so what about what about love and how has that shown up in your own life? Okay, so being a man, one thing that I have found that part of my awakening process was around recognizing the influence of toxic masculinity, um, which is, you know, as, as a young boy, as you know, for the, and I don't speak for everyone, but I think maybe, maybe generally speaking, mm-hmm. we're taught not to feel our emotions, you know, th- there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And it's, you know, stay quiet, go to work. That's not, that's expressing your emotions is not manly. We don't cry. Okay, Mm -hmm. and so one of the first things we learn is to repress our emotions and to stop ourselves from feeling anything real. Now, that, okay, when that is a fundamental aspect, one of the first building blocks that a person establishes when they're just finding their sense of self, that that foundation is one of emotions are not for men. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then you build a life and a persona on top of that foundation, which is ultimately a lie. There's a great deal like that's a tra- that's a that's a trauma, and then as 
we start seeking or an experience starts happening, it's like the persona that we build on top of that unstable foundation can kind of come crashing down and that wound needs to breathe and, and see the light of day. Now, and that can be a scary experience. It can be a scary experience. Um, but that's what the spiritual journey is all about. It's undoing the conditions and the expectations and who we think we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Now, I, um, so again, for myself coming into that, like realizing the effects of toxic masculinity and, 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 and letting that all come undone has been what my adult life has been all about. Just finding ways to connect to my heart, to let it open. Um, all, it's like emotion, if we think of that word, emotion, I like to think of it as energy in motion, okay? It wants to move. And when we stop ourselves from feeling our emotions, when we repress an emotion, it manifests as stress, as tension, as anxiety, and it becomes a natural way of being. It's almost as if we, we put on a suit of armor and then we carry a sword and we carry a shield through our lives. And we live that way for so long that we don't even realize that we're covered in armor, wearing a sword and carrying a shield. And we go around trying to have relationships and trying to get close to people, but we're not even aware of the fact that we're dressed in armor. And it's very difficult to have authentic love and authentic relationships. Like, have you ever tried to cuddle with a person completely dressed in armor? And that, that, that allowing of emotion, that allowing of energy and motion, the journey is in one of laying down the sword, laying down the shield, taking off the armor and welcoming and inviting the vulnerability that comes with the removal of that armor. And it's in that vulnerability that we can find our true strength. Okay, it's on the opposite side of that vulnerability. We can really rest more further into into, uh, love of ourselves and in that love of everyone. Energy in motion, emotion, they're supposed to move. And the greatest gift a teacher ever gave me was permission to feel my feelings. I lived my entire life waiting for someone to give me permission to feel angry, to give me permission to feel sadness. And it was one of the greatest moments of my life. I I didn't know that I was waiting for permission. And when I was given that permission, that's when my journey really began. And I knew this was a message that I just had to live for, had to share. I had to get to the bottom of this and really see. I knew there was something there for me. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I love that you're speaking to that permission. I had a similar feeling toward meditation. Like instead of the going and doing and constantly having stuff to do and constantly having to go work out and all that, that permission um, came to me through meditation. Like the permission to actually just be and be still and and to be quiet but I love that so now where does chanting because you're this amazing um, musician and chanter I don't know if that's a word chanter but um, describe describe what chanting is and how it helps us 
Well, the, the type of chanting that I do, it's a, it's a type of yoga called bhakti yoga. And a live experience of this type of yoga practice is called a kirtan. So I would call myself a kirtanwala, a bhakti yoga facilitator or teacher, or like you said, just a chanter. <laughs> what it is that we're chanting is one of the most ancient languages, which is the language of Sanskrit. Now, Sanskrit is not a spoken language today. Sanskrit is a vibrational language that interacts with and works directly with the chakras. And I know you've spoken to chakras a lot on your show and energetic awakening. Well, that word chakra is a Sanskrit word. All of the chakras, you know, um, Muladhara, Svadhasthana, Manapura, Anahata, Vishuddha, Anya, Sahasrar. Those are the names of the major energetic conglomerates or chakras in the energy body. And those are all Sanskrit names. So the mantras, and that word mantra just translates to mind tool. Mantra is also a Sanskrit mm -hmm. term. The, the, the mantras, the chants are all in Sanskrit and they work specifically with vibrating the energetic conglomerates in the energy body. When that happens, so all sound is vibration and these particular sounds have a profound effect not only on the energy body, but also the physical body as well. In repeating the mantras, in chanting Sanskrit mantras, the mind tool, what, why would the mind need a tool? The, the nature of the mind is to run, to wander, to go. So when we repeat a mantra, when we chant a mantra, it prompts the mind into stillness and vibrates our being in such a way that allows for the heart to open up. And all that means is when one, one's heart opens, all that means is that we're more in love with ourselves, our environment, life itself. It becomes an experience of love that is not based on an external circumstance. Like it's like, uh, you know, maybe we only identify with love as like we love another person. We love our family. We have romantic love. We have familial love. We have, you know, we love our friends. That's love that we, we get from another that experience of love can be found and sustained as a regular and consistent way of being. It's experiencing love from within the self. And when that little dial starts to, to, to turn, when that heart starts to open, um, we wake up to a more loving world. We're naturally more compassionate when we experience the potential of our own heart. Having compassion for others becomes a natural byproduct of this experience because this is a potential that every single human being has, has always had, and will always have. These practices are, I mean, they go back thousands of years beyond ancient India even. Um, 
Yoga was first discovered actually in Egyptian hieroglyphs, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other topic. (laughs) (laughs) So then with chanting, can you share an example with us? Sure. So they are all different names of the archetypes of um, gods and goddesses, which can be found in the, the, I guess the practice of Hinduism. Now, I don't identify as a Hindu. I identify as a bhakta or a bhakti yogi. Um, but these names do come from the various personifications. Um, and in that, that practice of, of Hinduism, which brings us yoga and bhakti yoga, these are all practices that kind of fall under that umbrella. Um, so when we chant the names of the various gods and goddesses, it's, it's, it's important to know that each god or goddess or personification of the divine is an archetype. An archetype is a potential or an aspect of the human experience, an aspect of the human experience. So if I'm chanting like, like Ram, Ram, Ram is the god of love. Okay, Ram, 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 Ram. That's the personification of love itself. So when one chants that, you know, a mantra of Ram, 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 we call forth those qualities from the depth of our being. They flash forward. Okay, we we chant to um, say there's Lakshmi, a Lakshmi chant. Well, Lakshmi is the goddess of beauty, wealth, and abundance, good fortune. Okay, that comes from within. So when one chants a Lakshmi chant, Om Shring Mahalakshmiye Namaha, Om Shring Mahalakshmiye Namaha, we call forth those, those, those qualities of seeing beauty, love, and abundance everywhere. They, they come forward from within us. Um, <clears throat> so while you don't need, one doesn't need the imagery of the gods and goddesses though. We don't even need to fully understand what all of the mantras mean. It's the vibrational quality of the sound waves themselves that have an effect on one's being. Um, I have studied and gone into the, you know, the, 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 the classical stories of um, you know Indian mythology, studying the Bhagavad Gita and the Ramayana, and they're all very, very beautiful stories. But I had these experiences with chanting well before I knew any of that stuff. Mm. All I found was when I sat down and made these sounds, something profound happened to me. Um, mystical experiences of my heart opening. I would start crying and releasing years of repressed emotion, tears that I had built up in me for years would just come out when I would attend these kirtans. And again, beautiful changes happened in my life. Prior to me finding yoga, I was an entertainer. I was a singer in bands. I even did heavy metal for a while. And while that was fun, when I said these, when I started singing these names and doing these practices, something changed in me, something shifted in me. And I knew I had to use the gift of song that I had been given to sing these names and to bring this into the world. Awesome. Use my voice. I wanted to use, I want to use my voice for good, for healing, Mm -hmm. for love. 
And this is just what has worked for me. And I've been devoted to learning, cultivating, and sharing this practice for 16 years. And people seem to be having some really positive experiences when I, when I hold these sound yoga um, journeys or experiences. It was kind of a long-winded answer to your question. I hope that's, that's all right. Yes, that's awesome because a lot of that I had not heard before. So I'm learning a lot listening to you today. I, I really appreciate it. It's just taking, you know, what I um, thought chanting was and really expanding it. So thank you mm-hmm. for your your descriptions. Um, so with the chanting, you know, for for heart opening, you know, you know, I was I, thinking about the times that I've heard you chanting either online, like online, because you do it through Facebook, but then also in person. It is, it is kind of this. It raises the awareness of our body and what's what's kind of possible energetically and in spiritual experience and love and healing. Like I love that you were speaking to having release of tears. I mean, when I'll never forget when I. Um, was that one of your kirtans and like my body just wanted to move in its own way it was like like the energy of the music was just resonating with my body like the energy of my body and just moving in a different way than I would you know normally do on a day-to-day you know walking around the house taking care of my kids and all of that and so there's really a, a potential I think in our bodies beyond what we're what we think of in this life yes and what that was the this the spontaneous movement there's lots of ways that that happens and as we both know in our experience with higher brain living there is a dormant potential in the body and chanting mantras is one of the ways to rouse those subtle currents now Again, all yoga is the mobilization of subtle energy, and that subtle energy is called prana. When prana mobilizes, whether it's through the vehicle of doing yoga poses, whether it's through chanting mantras, there are many ways to mobilize this prana. But when it mobilizes, the mind comes into stillness. There is a releasing. There is a letting go, a surrendering that happens. And in that surrendering, which is nothing other than allowing the content of your internal dialogue to come to a consistent pause, something else rises up in our awareness. And the movement that occurs spontaneously, these are spontaneous yogic processes, um, purifications, if you will, a releasing of deeply held stress, not only in the body, but also in the brain. There's neurological tissue in the heart that starts to mobilize and metabolize. So oftentimes in a kirtan, there's a rhythm that's set. This isn't like normal music. It's not like a song, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, refrain, Mm -hmm. verse. Okay, it's consistent. It's repeating a mantra. The music is very basic okay it's a rhythm is established a rhythm is established and a mantra is introduced within the space of that rhythm and the instrumentation is there just to support the repeating of the mantras 
and it's in a rhythm that anybody can connect to. You start chanting along, singing along, the body starts moving. Well, what's happening when you're chanting over and over again? You're also inviting oxygen into your system in a very particular and consistent way. In yoga, we call that pranayama or the yoga of breathing. So that's taking place as well as the vibrating of the subtle energy body in through the vehicle of chanting the Sanskrit mantras. Um, and there's likely some movement, some swaying that's happening. And that is the releasing of deeply held stress. It's the releasing of what needs to be let go of so that the heart can open. Our blocks need to be released before the heart can open. And that's the tough part for most people. That's the vulnerable part. That's the letting go part. So we start feeling something and we're presented with a choice. You can let go and surrender and let this experience take you on a healing journey, or we can hold on to it very tightly and further repress the energy in motion or the emotion. It's in our willingness to let go. That's where all of the growth is. Allowing something else to come through us and take us on what might be the journey or the ride of our lives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's cool. And I, well, I love through us the stress response in our body and that all of what we're really talking about is physiological. So to kind of awaken, like you said, their neurological tissue in the heart, we have, we can't be letting our lower brain hijack our potential and our, our energy. And so we have to kind of get out of that constant stress and able for our heart to open. Exactly, exactly. And my life has been one of seeking out experiences that do exactly that. And anytime I found something that works, I've integrated it into um, my life and what I share and offer others. Chanting and sharing bhakti yoga has been the most consistent practice I've had. And it has carried me through an abundance of challenging circumstances and everything really in, in, in my life. But it has, it has been consistent. This practice has always worked, and it still works very much to this day. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, uh, my whole journey began with chanting, and it has, like I said before, it has taken me on the ride of my life, and I'm still on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. keeps on. It's like waves, you know, that some of the, it just, the waves just keep on coming. Sometimes mm -hmm. they're big. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're fast. Sometimes they're slow. The waves consistently come, and my journey is one of allowing, surrendering, letting go, and just trusting that what I've chosen to wrap my life and awareness on is going to bring me to exactly where I'm supposed to be, and I hope to create that same allowance in others. Mm -hmm. And when you say that word allowance, it just reminds me of kind of the surrender and one of my, one of, I love David R. Hawkins books. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but he talks about that at a certain point in our growth, it, it becomes involuntary. So like you were talking about how our body kind of wants to move and we can get to this like ever present sort of 
presence or experience where it's, it feels involuntary. We've like surrendered and allowed life to live us. Mm-hmm. Does that resonate? It absolutely does. It's like life wants to experience itself through us, but not until we get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And getting out of the way is letting the mind stuff go, letting go of what we think we know. Um, and that, again, all of these things that we're talking about, these are all fundamental aspects of what I, and I assume you, would, would consider to be the spiritual journey. Um, letting go, letting go of the mind stuff and allowing something else to come through us Allowing, surrendering, that's really uh, what it's all about. Letting go of the need for things to be any certain way. Buddhism teaches that's the root of all suffering. Mm-hmm. What we're on, what we're, exactly, what we're holding on to. Um, and bhakti yoga, chanting mantras, it teaches us how to let go. And then... Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the potential of healing and it's, it's so much integral to energetic, um, our physiology. I just kind of want to come back to what you were talking about, the chakras and how um, all of the work and modalities and things we're talking about are really kind of about clearing our energy and our energy field and getting every, our energy moving and, you know, rotating the way, um, in a free and liberated way so that life or energy life force can just express through us. And so I just kind of want to bring it back to the chakras a little bit. Any, any other comment on chakras that you'd like to speak to? Well, sure. Energy gets blocked in so many ways. I mean, a person can be sitting in a chair and that person can be experiencing anger and depression and they could I mean a person could be having sexual thoughts and sitting in a chair and they get up and walk away and then you go and sit in that chair and all of a sudden you're having those thoughts or you're feeling anger or you're feeling sadness and as one comes more into contact with their energy system and their chakras start opening and they embark on their spiritual journey we naturally become more empathetic which means we naturally become more susceptible to picking up on those subtle currents, if you will. You sit in a chair, someone's sad, and all of a sudden you're feeling things that aren't necessarily yours. Mm. And that can have an effect on one's chakra system. It's, it's Faraday's law. So, if it, and just an example of what Faraday's law is. If I take two acoustic guitars and I hold them up to each other with the strings facing each other, the guitars aren't touching. If I pluck the low E string on one guitar, the exact same string on the opposite guitar is going to start to vibrate and produce a sound without ever being touched. So when we're thinking about chakras and opening, okay, this is happening all the time. You, you walk into a room and you all of a sudden get some bad vibes. Well, what do you think that is? Bad vibes. What is that? You're intuitively feeling a decrease in your vibrational quality. Okay, you're feeling something 
happen in your own body and you're just picking up on it. It's indescribable. Same thing as the opposite. You can walk into a place and be like, wow, this place has great energy. It's because the vibrational quality of the space or whatever it is that happens in that space is having an effect on your chakra system and you're starting to vibrate like the string that has never been plucked. Mm -hmm. That is also part of the spiritual journey. We act on a feeling that we have. We act on a physiological response. We'll have a thought or we'll see something and it will trigger this feeling within us and that feeling we just know it to be a yes it's a necessary part of our our life journey so when we're on our spiritual journey and developing a relationship and a deeper understanding to our chakra system I think it's really really important for anyone to know that you're going to naturally become more empathetic you're going to start feeling things that might not necessarily be yours and that is something I wish everyone on the spiritual journey to know because and oftentimes people are born empaths, okay? And if a person is an empath or they cultivate more empathy through the vehicle of their spiritual practice, when we feel sadness or pain, we might not be feeling, it might not be ours. We might be picking up on something outside of us. And it's so, so important for a person with that, that empathy, natural or developed, it's important for them to know that maybe their depression or their sadness is not because of the circumstances in their life. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, a person who's an empath, who, and if no one ever tells them they're an empath, they're moving through their life and they're completely miserable, yet they can't source, they can't find out why they're feeling that. Okay, and it's because it's not theirs. They might be feeling the collective pain body of the planet itself even. And mm. people can have, they can be diagnosed with all sorts of psychological issues and traumas, none of which, may, I'm not saying none, but some of them may not be true for that person. Nothing's wrong with them. They just might be naturally more empathetic and feeling things that aren't necessarily theirs. And there are ways to cultivate, protect, and nurture our energy body, bhakti yoga definitely being one of them. Um, yeah, I think I'll just leave that right there. Yeah, and that's an important concept. It's something that I wish I had known when I was younger. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, from this work, I've noticed it's like my own energy or resilience is stronger. So I have less of that, um, you know, other things affecting me than I used to. So like, for example, yeah. I um, had a friend where I would leave her and feel completely exhausted. And I had to go home and literally take a nap. <laughs> after yeah. I left when I would rather have gone home and like been with my family and stuff but I, I literally had to like go home and take a nap <laughs> but um as I've you know worked on my own chakras and through various modalities um strengthened and liberated those energies within me then now I don't things like that don't drag me down like they would have in the yeah. past but I wish I would have known that like when I was 20. <laughs> Well, me too. Me too. I, I, I completely, and I'm only able to say this stuff because I have directly experienced it. Mm -hmm. You know, right. I experienced it and I've under, I understand, I, I've been through that, that, that depression and that 
feeling what other people feel and mistaking it for my own, my own authentic feelings and asking myself, well, what's wrong with me? Right. It's not that something was wrong with me. It's that something was right with me. Mm. And that's what makes a healer a healer is their level of empathy. We can feel what, like someone, when, when you're all open, you can, like, I can feel what someone's feeling when they're in front of me. And that is how I know which modality or which, you know, what, what space I'm going to hold for this person based on what I'm intuitively feeling. It's a, it's a, it's a tremendous gift. And again, this is a gift that can be cultivated. Anybody can cultivate more empathy, um, a deeper, more trusting relationship to their intuitive capacities, um, the experience of the heart opening. But as we know, these all fall under post-rational understanding. And that is all around living in trust or rather having trust, having some inclination that there's more to life than what we've been presented. Mm -hmm. There is more and countless mystics and sages and practices have been pointing at this. And where is that finger being pointed? Always right back at ourselves, at the individual. You can't find it. It's not out there. Yeah. It's in, it's in there. It's within. Love it. And, and it's always been there. <laughs> exactly. Always has been, always will be. There's nothing outside of ourselves that is going to provide any true lasting satisfaction. Like this conversation started with, I said, you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. You can't pour from an empty cup. Well, what does that mean? And how do you fill the cup? We have to go inside and take accountability for our relationship to our own heart, our relationship to our own love. If we don't fully love ourselves, we're never going to find it out there. And again, I say this because I have sabotaged the majority of my relationships because of self-loathing or self-hatred or an unhealthy relationship to my own heart. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I started taking accountability for that relationship and working with it that my life outside started to reflect the relationship that I had with myself. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful journey. It's a journey worth taking. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. And so, so very true. The more we can love within and be at peace, the more we can experience just that love and peace in our experience. Exactly. So, so final thing here in your bio, I see this quote, sing with the angels, roar with the lions. Tell me about that. <laughs> Well, um, sing with the angels, roar with the lions. It's, it, what that means to me is it's kind of about confronting darkness, not being afraid to go into our tough emotions, um, roaring with the lions. You can see a lion and you can be scared of it, or you can see a lion and you can roar right alongside it. Okay, it's, uh, it also has a lot to do with... Um, the goddess Kali, you know, she's, she's dark. She looks scary. Her tongue is out. She's wearing a, a necklace of bloody heads. You know, she's, she's pretty frightening, but she's also the personification of 
the the earth itself, Mother Earth itself, the love of Mother Earth, but disguised in this cloak of fear, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's all about embracing and allowing fear, embracing resistance, leaning into, in every time we lean into our resistance, we're given a greater experience of expansion or growth or more love. And so my experience with chanting mantras, my experience with bhakti yoga has been this wild ride to and through my own darkness. And it wasn't until I was willing to confront my own darkness that the experience of heaven on earth became made available. But I had to, like, if we resist, like, we resist our anger, we resist our sadness, but it's through our anger, our sadness, and that tough stuff. It's through that that we are rewarded with more expansion, more consciousness, more momentum in our lives. And when we're experiencing that momentum, that's what I call heaven on earth. And that's why I say, sing with the angels, roar with the lions. It's a non, it's non-duality. Um, negativity is necessary, okay, in order for positive. You know, I don't want to sound too, whatever, whatever that, that, that word is, but it's like, you know, we have to embrace our darkness. Without going into our darkness, we're not going to fully know the capacity of our light. We're not even going to know what to reach for in our lives without experiencing what we don't want. Mm-hmm. There's only lessons happening in this human experience. There's only ever lessons good bad right wrong it's all necessary in order to direct us it's all uh, contrast um so that's what that means to me that's what that means to me i love it thanks so much and i love how you were speaking to that expansion or that expanded state because we'll go through cycles and seasons and sometimes life can feel contracted and then other times it expands and Really, the more um, work we do, the more expansion we can experience. So thank you so much. And consciousness can only expand. It can't go backwards. Isn't that interesting? That's good to know. (laughs) It can only expand. Consciousness can only expand. So now if the listeners want to connect with you or hear some of your kirtan, or I know you're recording a project right now. Um, speak to that, the best way to connect, and if they want to support your project too, because that would be awesome. Sure. So, um, again, I've been chanting as a private personal practice for about 16 years, and I would hold live space as well where people could come and sit down and chant with me, but I've never produced or recorded anything. So um, I am doing that right now. I have this body of work that I've cultivated um, over the last 16 years. And there's 20 um, sound yoga tracks that I'm working on. I just invested in a home recording studio. And I'm finally recording this and making it available to the public. I I was following the guidance of one of my gurus. And they said, you have to go inward and cultivate the, the, the healing potential of these sounds before you put it out there in such a way that it can reach 
you know, a broader group of people. And I told myself I wouldn't do this until someone asked me. And <laughs> I, have, I have been asked, which was my way of saying the universe is ready for me to take this next step. So I am sharing my practice and I am sharing these mantras and I'm recording this project right now. I have opened it up so that people can donate to the project as I'm utilizing my own resources to create this gift for people. Um, and if anyone is encouraged to donate in any capacity, even, even a couple dollars, anything at all, that can be done um, directly at my PayPal, which is paypal.me forward slash Ryan Hader with a D, paypal.me forward slash Ryan Hader. And anyone who does will receive the first volume um, of which I'm doing three. They'll receive the first volume and I'll send that to them as soon as I have it mixed and mastered. Um, if anyone donates in a more significant capacity, they'll definitely get all three. And for those who go above and beyond, I'm offering um, private sessions, private coaching. Um, I have this beautiful sacred geometry jewelry that I share. I'll uh, be setting people up. But there's no pressure. This whole project has been about grace and allowance. So I'm not doing a formal Kickstarter. I'm not creating that level of pressure. I just mm -hmm. don't want that to be a part of this. I'm just sharing. And I trust that the universe is going to support it. And that's really what it's all about. So if anyone's inclined, they're welcome to help out there. Uh, my website is being redone right now. It's ryanhader.com, but it is currently down. Um, it's being redeveloped. So right now, Facebook is the best way to get a hold of me, Ryan Hader or Ryan Hader Yoga. I'm pretty active on there. And I've got um, lots of teachings and I'm chanting there and offering some inspirational um, just some inspirational talks about working with my own emotions, what I've been experiencing in the pressure of COVID and how to keep my heart above my head. Um, just lots of stuff like that. Just roll right on my Facebook there. Oh, neat. I like how you said that. Keep your heart above your head. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, and I'm excited to donate to your project and get the recordings. Um, Cause I, I've enjoyed listening to you and I, you know, I can sense the energy and I always just feel uplifted and I get the smile on my face whenever I hear you. So oh. I appreciate that. And thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for being on today, Ryan. This has been awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey, Rev with Rachel listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's a pleasure to share these important life transforming and healing topics with you. As always, remember to Rev recreate, enlighten, and vibrate. Thank you for listening. Until we meet again, be love. This is the EWN Podcast Network.